0: Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show buying about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On today's program, I want to look at a community foundation in Palestine that goes by the name Dahlia. It's an extraordinary organisation in that it confronted the limitations of international aid coming into Palestine and how ultimately. Money, organised in that way, made little to no difference to the lives of Palestinians. But rather than tell you of the origins, I'll let you hear about it from those involved. First up, I'm going to play a speech delivered by a former director of Dalia Association, Nora Murad. Then, in the second part of the show, I interview the current director, Aisha Mansour, about the projects, campaigns and strategy of Dahlia Association. So first up, Nora Murad.
1: Four years ago, maybe five years ago, just in the early stages of launching the idea of Dahlia Association, I got a call from NGO Annapolis that I'll never forget. It's one of those calls that May she realize something that changes the way that you see things thereafter. The woman who called is a powerful, dynamic, committed NGO leader, and she'd heard about our work, mobilizing resources for civil society, and she asked me to help her find money. So I said, for what? She said, we need to pay doctors to give health lectures to women. Does anybody catch how bizarre that is, how wrong that is? Does anybody understand what's wrong with that? Any ideas? Okay, she wanted money to pay doctors to give health lectures. She didn't have money, but she has doctors. Palestine has lots of doctors. So why do we focus on a thing that we don't have, rather than a thing we do have? Which is resources. Lots of resources. Not long after, I was invited to a village near Ramallah to a, to a women's committee. And the leader of the women's committee introduced me. This is Nura uh, from Assis And she wants to know what our needs are. I said, no, please, I know what your needs are. I've done needs assessments all over Palestine. You need education and jobs and sanitation and equality and personal safety, and I went down the list and there was silence. Embarrassing. Well, okay, why did you come? I said, I came to find out what your resources are and your capacities and your assets and how we can mobilise them together. There was a long silence, but I'm very comfortable with silence. Finally, someone from the back said, well, do you mean, like, we know how to cook? And I said, yes, write it down. Well, do you mean, like, we know how to farm? I said, yes, write it down. And in five minutes, we had pages of capacities and resources and assets. And at the end of the meeting, they told me, no one has ever asked us that question before. These conversations and many, many other real sad examples have led me to the conclusion that despite the good intentions of many, despite all our good intentions, that the international aid system actually promotes inequality. It promotes inequality by dividing Palestinians and the world, I should say, into givers and receivers, as you see here. Givers are generous, active, worthy. Receivers are needy and passive and dependent. Palestinians are receivers. Some of you may have read the book Dead Aid by Benvi Samoyel. It's not a perfect book. But one thing I appreciate is she says in her book that aid is the cause of poverty in Africa. Not a side product, but the cause. And the reason why I like that is because we're stuck in this language of aid effectiveness. As if, we've said today, aid could be effective under occupation. So, let's ask ourselves the question, if international aid is part of Palestinian oppression. Now here we could talk about fault, we could say that donors know that billions of dollars of investment in Palestine haven't produced results, but they keep giving, and they keep giving in ways that are wasteful and insulting. Or we could say that Palestinians have sold out, that the NGOs are competing with one another for contracts so they can implement donors' agendas while local priorities are ignored. There's probably truth in both perspectives. But I think there's also truth in saying that the system is broken and that donors and Palestinians alike, and some of us who are neither, recognize the problem and are anxious for solutions and alternatives that lead to real Palestinian-led social change and sustainable development. We have to get beyond complaining, which is easy, and I'm very good at it, into problem solving, which is really hard.
0: That was former director of Dahlia Association, Nora Murad, discussing the origins and philosophical underpinnings of the organisation. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. Next up, the current director of Dahlia Association, Aisha Mansour. We talk about what the organisation is up to today, some of the challenges in organising and most importantly, current campaigns and projects.
2: So the Dali Association is a community foundation. The focus is to really strengthen community philanthropy within our community where everyone has resources, um, be it financial or non-financial, but we all have resources, Palestinians as well as those in solidarity. And how do we um, bring that all together, mobilize our resources to serve our priorities in our community? Um, We feel that the community knows its priorities and has the right to control the resources to serve its own priorities. And that's what we focus on.
0: And do you work and operate within the occupied territories of Gaza and the West Bank?
2: Yeah, actually, uh, the DALI Association's mission is to, to be a community foundation for all of Palestine, um, so, the goal is to really connect with all Palestinians that live um, all over Palestine. Uh, the West Bank and Gaza are just part of Palestine, um, as well as to connect with those in the diaspora because um, they're also part of the Palestinian community. So, it's really a community foundation for Palestinians. Most of um, our main grant making programs right now, uh, most of the work in the past has been done in the West Bank. We've had work all over Palestine, but in terms of our, our three main programs, which are grant making programs, most of the work has been done in the West Bank. We just recently have been able to expand one of our programs into Gaza. So this is our um, the first time, not the first time to work in Gaza, but the first time to actually do a grant making program in Gaza. Um, you know, because as a community foundation, we're grant makers, but we're also um, we also facilitate linking of resources within our community um, and mobilizing local resources. Um, and so we've done that in other places, but in terms of our our making grants, this is going to be the first time in Gaza this year that we're doing it.
0: Well, uh, in Australia, where uh, and I presume in most of the world, we're very much dependent on the mainstream press to access information about what the conditions would be like um, in Palestine. And and from what we can tell, the situation looks very dire. It's very difficult to move around. There are roadblocks that really um, make it difficult for workers to travel easily. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the operating conditions like for you and for your <laughs> organisation? How, how do you right. manage to be effective in that context?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, we do what we can do within the context, and, um, and 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 not everything not everything happens smoothly, as you can imagine, when you can't control um, when you can't control the the environment. So, just to give you some examples, uh, so we're starting our grant making program in Gaza. One of our programs, our community program, which is called uh, IBDAT, which is a youth program. So we've we've initiated that program here in the West Bank over the last year, and now we're expanding it to Gaza. And we needed to hire somebody, because physically, um, us, my team, uh, we're West Bankers. Now, we're hoping that we would be able to get a permit, ultimately, to get into Gaza um, and to really um, be able to be part of the work, or some of it, at least. But- it, there's no there's no way that we can just go whenever we want um, there's a lot of checkpoints and borders and so we hired uh, somebody in Gaza a field coordinator from Gaza but again in order to hire the person I haven't even met her in person yet so we did interviews and they were all via Skype we tried to do them via Skype but of course so uh, with the electricity problem in Gaza as you might know Skype wasn't working all the time and we would have to call them on landlines um, in many cases but eventually after a couple of interviews we hired somebody and we went through the whole process and it's been just communicating over the phone and skype we have not been able to meet the person yet and the only reason why i know why, what she looks like is uh... through a picture uh... similarly um, we were being hosted by an organization in jerusalem the other day to do a workshop for youth over there for different youth groups there a workshop about um, local economy and alternative economies and how to ident- identify issues within your community to address and how to mobilize resources But unfortunately, we had to cancel the workshop last Thursday at the last minute because uh, we didn't get our permits to get into Jerusalem. So these are the kinds of things um, that you have to deal with on a regular basis. I mean, last Monday, we had to go to a school, um, one of the schools we're working with um, on our youth program, just to give you another example, which is in the school is in the West Bank and is not really far away from where we're based. But... um, There were two unexpected checkpoints along the way, besides the bottleneck around the Kalandi checkpoint that we we know always exists, but beyond that there were two other checkpoints which made us about 40 minutes late for the students. So these are things that, um, you know, just affect your daily work and you just have to be flexible uh, and continue to serve. There's no other option.
0: In a minute, I'd like to talk specifically about the projects and campaigns um, that Dahlia is running. But before that, I do want to ask another question about your staffing and, and your capacity to organise because I expect, particularly for that field organiser in Gaza, there, there there are some dangers to do with going to work every day that other people in other parts of the world simply wouldn't have to deal with. How do you support your staff and protect them and keep them safe. How do you manage that on a daily basis? Right.
2: Well, I mean, all of our staff, including the 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 person we just hired in Gaza, I mean, they're they're um, from here and uh, it's it's part of daily life. So, you know, I can't even imagine um, living in Gaza, because I don't live in Gaza, I've only been able to visit a couple times for a very short period of time. But the, our staff person in Gaza is from there, she spent her whole life there, um, and has to, has had to deal with the previous attacks that have been going on in Gaza. Um, we tried to support her the best we can, but, um, you know, the conditions are the conditions. and. Um, you know, my staff in the West Bank, they live under a certain set of conditions, and now our new staff person in, the, in Gaza has been living under these other conditions. We try to facilitate the work, you know, despite the 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 hard, uh, difficult environment, living under occupation, our team is passionate about what they do, um, and really believe that serving the community and really um, strengthening community philanthropy towards developing the community is the way to go to, inc- into, to ensure a free society, a free community of Palestinians, so... Um, and that's I guess what motivates us to continue.
0: Well let's look specifically then at what keeps your staff motivated and committed and, and passionate. Tell me a, a little bit about you know the projects and campaigns that you're running.
2: Right. Like I said, the Dali Association is a community foundation. The idea started back in um, 2006 after after many years of international aid uh, that came into Palestine and continues to come to Palestine after the the Oslo agreement, the peace agreement, you know, from the, from 93. Um, International aid started coming in, lots of it, lots of NGOs have been established um, taking in this aid and implementing projects uh, with agendas that were, you know, agendas and priorities identified by the donors, the, the international aid system, the governments. Um, so the founders of the, um, of the Dali Association, which included 11 Palestinians from all over Palestine, including the diaspora, uh, you know, discussed that, you know, we need to have an alternative to this. Um, and we, you know, the aid that's coming in, much of it is not going towards the priorities that the community sees as necessary. Uh, and, but but we as a community, Palestinians as well as those in solidarity with Palestine, we have resources, financial and non-financial, uh, and when I say financial, non-financial, you know, it's expertise, it's volunteer time, it's advocacy, all of that. We have resources. How, so how do we mobilize these resources to serve our community and to empower the community to identify its own priorities and implement them? And that's how we build a strong society, a strong community. Um, and that's, that's how Dahlia was established. We have um, three main programs, three main community programs. Um, we have the Village Decides program women supporting women program and we just started last year um, a youth program called Ibda. Ibda means start in Arabic but all of these programs work within the same framework um, we're building a curriculum, it's still in process but we have a, a curriculum which is continuously being built and hopefully over the next year will be finalized to share with communities about um, you know, identifying your priorities, being an active citizen. um, How do we mobilize local resources to serve our priorities? How do we work together in a transparent and accountable manner? Because uh, much of this strong strong community sense that we once had uh, before Oslo Uh, where everybody worked together and mobilized resources, has slowly been been deteriorating after Oslo, after the aid system, um, and after the various uh, policies and agendas that have come in with the free trade and the neoliberal economic policies and all of this kind of thing. Uh, We talk about local economy, the importance of local economy and food sovereignty. Um, preserving our culture, preserving our social. So, And then how to identify issues and implement them. So um, we have a curriculum and, and all of our programs, we, we go through our curriculum. The community then identifies priorities. They present in, in as individuals or to groups within their community, their priorities and proposed projects. And then the community itself votes. So um, they vote and they decide which priority um, is the best or is most needed at that time that should get the funds that should should get the community to be working towards it together. And and then we mentor them as they implement and work. And um, our goal is that hopefully um, we can strengthen, you know, strengthen communities, eh, encourage active citizenship again, and encourage people to continue to work and mobilize resources to serve um, any um, gaps that they see without having to wait for an outsider or without having to wait for foreign aid. Um, to come in in many, you know, in many situations in communities when we go in, many um, because of the plus 20 years of all of this aid, many people have forgotten that we have local resources, or or they stop valuing it and um, thinking that the outside resources is the most valuable. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a it's a process. It's a long-term process. We go in, we work with communities, but it's not just it's not just like doing a project. And leaving, we continuously work when there's opportunities to to exchange information and knowledge. We bring people together. We organize field visits. We, um, if there's a specific issue affecting the country, we try to do a convening session where people come together and discuss. We're trying to, you know, promote civil society space, which
0: is slowly being diminished. The the projects you're talking about are absolutely remarkable, and I I can't help but wonder how that would look in practice. Uh, in, the, in the context of a, a new offensive, like a particularly big um, offensive against the Palestinians like the wars that we saw in 2009, 2014, do, do these projects continue in those contexts or are you forced to stop? Well I mean
2: we didn't this is the first time we're working directly in Gaza, but when there's a crisis, uh, like a major attack. Of course, priorities change, right? Um, and that's and that's the important part about why the, it's important for the community to identify priorities. You know, today uh, we were in a community in Southern Hebron and they have two projects um, focused on really, div- you know, um, building their local economy and using the local resources that are available. But um, if a situation comes where they're being attacked in a different way, then the priority changes um, for them, you know. And uh, you have to something you know sometimes you have to deal with emergent things, and then you can move back to the other things. And that's the situation in Palestine always. Um, I wasn't working at Dahlia during the the wars on Gaza in two thousand twelve and two thousand fourteen. I was working in the health sector, um, and so. Uh, you know, you work on particular issues that may be uh, more developmental in those, in, during those times b- before the war. But when the attack comes, then you have to deal with the emergent issue. And um, and that's very important, uh, you know, that's very important for why the community needs to be engaged and to, and to be active. Because the donor system is not that flexible. If a project comes in for a certain thing, <laughs> then they want to implement it. But times change, things change. Um, and that flexibility is extremely
0: important. I wonder if, um, you know, if you look at the Middle East as an entire context and is it ever the case for the local communities in Palestine that what their priorities are includes supporting um, uh, other other Arab countries that are in the throes of war, like Syria, for instance?
2: Right. I mean, um, we're always looking to connect Um our community is always looking to connect, to support, to serve. Um, us at the Dahlia Association, for example, um, because we're the only community foundation in Palestine. When we went, when we go to conferences, it's so um, nice to see. Um, other Arabs from other countries who work in similar ways, maybe differently because of different contexts, and we connect and we we learn from each other and we try to continue the communication. So, um, and this is important. And when we do workshops with communities, we also share examples, success su- successful examples from Palestine, but also from other parts of um, the Arab world. So. Um, you're right, it's, uh, it's one, you know, we're one people and the communication is important. Although, you know, because of the situation, the easy movement across borders is not there. So, um, you know.
0: Do you see the Dahlia model as something that could uh, be transferred to other areas of crisis like Syria? Or do you think it is too premature to attempt to set something like this up?
2: Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know the details inside Syria because I don't live there and I, I don't pretend to know that. Only the people who live within their environment can know what are the best answers um, for their environment. And I guess that's basically our philosophy as the Dahlia Association, that we don't impose any model. Um, or any way, uh, or any particular project or priority, the community itself knows its uh, priority and how to address it, given the context, given the politics. So, like. For Syria, you know, the people there would know what's best and what would serve them. For us though, you know, in terms of our curriculum, in terms of mobilizing local resources to serve our priorities and encourage active citizenship in strong communities, that's definitely um, a priority and important um, all over the world. How it gets done depends on the environment. And that's, and, and, and that's up to the community dis, to decide. It's not up to me or anybody else to decide for a community. Even within Palestine itself, when I go to a community and we, we talk about priorities and I tell them, I don't live in your community, you know, Palestine is so diverse and different communities are affected by the occupation in different ways. And I live just in one place, so I don't know what it is to be in southern Hebron. I don't know what it is to be in 1948 Palestine. I don't know what it is to be in Gaza. And so the communities there are, are best, and similar to other parts of the Arab world. The community should be the one deciding how um, how best to meet its needs and priorities given the situation.
0: And I guess ultimately what your organisation does is point in a direction even if it's not directly targeted at this it points to a direction of a, a way to bring to an end i guess the conflict in palestine what would you say is a winning strategy ultimately for ending that conflict
2: i mean for us for us we know the occupation will end no occupation ever lasts social justice will come um to our people but in the meantime we need to strengthen our communities. We need to mobilize our local resources to ensure that we have um, our basics, that we have food sovereignty, we have energy sovereignty, that um, we're preserving our social and cultural fabric, um, and that we're supporting each other as a community now. Um, and then the occupation will leave, and um, and we know that the occupation will end eventually. But the, these um, aspects are extremely important to uh, to continue to build, ensuring a local economy. Because unfortunately, over the last years, all of this has been um, deteriorating. And if the occupation were to end today, um, our communities have have deteriorated. Um, from the occupation, but also from the external um, external uh, policies that have been imposed on us. So, um, what we do is uh, what we f- do. We feel is important to build our community. So, when that when the occupation ends, we have strong communities that can continue to go and build their communities c- that can continue to go and build our country.
0: Um, well, Aisha, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything you wanted to add to the discussion?
2: No. Um, I, thanks, Giselle, for um, the interview. Uh, I just want to encourage people to, who are interested uh, in learning more about Dahlia, they can follow us on Twitter, um, at Dahlia Sok, A-S-S-O-C, or they can also follow us on Facebook, uh, to really see what our day-to-day work looks like. Uh, they can just look us up, Dahlia Association, on Facebook. For those who are more interested in getting involved and um, supporting, they can always email me um, either at infodahlia.ps or directly to me at Aisha, M-A-I-S-H-A-M, at Dahlia.ps.
0: That was Aisha Mansour, current director of Dahlia Association. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au, and that's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.